but I hope you will keep in your own hearts the, 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 the openness to the voice of the Spirit of God as he speaks to each of us tonight. I know very well that he's speaking to me uh, today on this matter of sin. As we've studied the various aspects of this prayer, above all things, I want us to hope that we would have known that this is a community prayer, a family prayer. I mean, what does he say there in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, what does it say there in verse 9? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Everything that we've been taught to pray in this prayer is to be prayed within the context of a fam familial, a family relationship with the Lord. We notice the pronouns that, are, that make up this prayer. Our Father. And last week we looked at our Father giving us our daily bread. And today, we, this evening, we want to come to our debts, our sins. Just earlier this week, before we dive into the text, I just kept remembering, um, I've been going back into the uh, Marvel uh, films, and I've stopped on uh, the last film, uh, End, Endgame. Some of you may be familiar with it, but um, I know me and Michael had contention regarding two particular characters, Iron Man and Captain America. Uh, we were like, who was the good guy? Who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? And it went on for a little while, and we had a little back and forth on social media. Um, but at the end of uh, one of the earlier films, The Civil War, we come to the realization that uh, um, Tony Stark, Iron Man's parents, were killed, a contract killing, whatever you might say, by uh, a character, a friend of Iron Man, of uh, Captain America, sorry. And Captain America knew about this. At the end of Civil War, after a gig, when, when Iron Man realizes this, and knows not only the perpetrator of this order, but the fact that his friend, Captain America, was aware of this and did not tell him, well, he was driven to rage. And we see there at the end now there, there is this split, and Iron Man goes his way, Captain America goes his way. But right at the end, Captain America writes a letter to Iron Man, and he expresses his need for forgiveness. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. He says, in keeping that truth from you, I was trying, I thought I was trying to protect you. But I only realized I was trying to protect myself. Fast forward now to the years that passed to end game as uh, um, They've encountered the main villain, and Iron Man returns from a battle that took place in a, 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 another world, and 
half of uh, humanity has gone. I don't want to give away the, the, the film if you haven't watched it already, but him and Act America encounter again, already weighed down by the loss of lives because of so many different factors and a lot of that has to do with not sharing truth with one another. They come together in the hope to restore humanity and restore things and get everyone back. And there's this wonderful encounter in Endgame as Iron Man, who has uh, been lucky enough for his family not to have been zapped away, he returns and says, you know, he's found a way for, to help everyone to come back. All of humanity, all that half of humanity that's gone, he's found a way to bring them back and they have to work together. And he uses, says this phrase as they encounter one another and he says to Iron Man, says to Captain America that resentment is corrosive. Resentment is corrosive. I can't hold on to this anymore. What we had there, you know, it was great. I, you know, it hasn't brought my parents back, but I can't hold on to that. I can't hold on to anger. I can't hold on to resentment. He has to forgive. And we realize that even uh, um, the world and movies, they understand the, 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 the power of forgiveness to an extent, but how much more so do we, as those who have been forgiven much, how do we understand the costliness of forgiveness? That because someone has hurt us, how much harder it is to forgive. Yet forgiveness also brings great joy. Not only to be forgiven, but especially for the one who forgives. The Greek term for forgiveness, aphemi, comes from the word which means to let go. Forgiveness is a release, a letting go of self-destructive feelings like anger, bitterness, and revenge. Prayer, as we come to this evening, is about releasing. It's been about so many things, about our relationship, but tonight prayer is about releasing. Let's jump into the text. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Very simply, but very powerfully. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, I don't come to this text lightly. I don't come to this text knowing uh, uh, fully well anything of what I understand about forgiveness, especially in my life, in this world that I live in with those around me. And I know the same can be said of my brothers and sisters and friends this evening, but Lord, help us this evening to know of your forgiveness for us, your unmerited grace and favor towards us, 
that we too might forgive our debtors. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want us to see this evening is that prayer involves confession. Prayer involves confession. And that's something that we might, you know, assume to know, but maybe ask ourselves, how often as we are praying, are we confessing as opposed to praising, giving thanks, and making, asking, making supplication, calling upon the Lord? How often are we confessing ourselves, our sins before the Lord? This is a truth that many believers have trouble with. But the fact is, we may be saved. We may have been brought into right relationship with God the Father. But we still fall to sin. Paul Washer tweeted in 2019 something he has said several times on the pulpit. He said, a new convert will not only have a new relationship with God and his people, but also an altered relationship with sin and the world. He will be averse to the sin he once loved and contrary to the world in whose path he once walked. I remember the concept in which he said that in a sermon. He was saying, uh, oh, someone came to him. He said, Brother Paul, Brother Paul, I've just come to, uh, to Christ. I'm a Christian now. I have a new relationship with God, the Father, our Father who art in heaven. I have a new relationship with God, the Father. And he says, that's wonderful. But do you have a new relationship with sin? By God's grace, that is something that we're continually walking through, working through, struggling through. But the Bible tells us that we have not just a new relationship with our Father, but a new relationship with sin. It no longer is a master over our lives, or it ought not to be. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, from verse 14. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do, do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in the flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I find it to be that the law, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul is saying he wants to do the right thing, but he finds in himself this desire, this inclination to do that which he does not want to do. He no longer wants to do. We no longer want to be angry. We no longer want to be bitter. We no longer want to seek revenge, but when someone wrongs us, our desire is to, to wrong back. Friends, we need a clear conscience over our sins. Far too many believers act as though they think sin is something that happens to the lives of other people. And as a result, they never go to the altar to pray about their, and confess their sins. They never confess their wrongdoings and their shortcomings. They never go to another believer and say, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I was wrong. It never happens. But that kind of awareness of our sins should be part of our lives each and every day. One thing's for sure, we will all have a problem with sin in our lives and we will all need the help in dealing with this problem. And in the realization that we do have that problem, we need help dealing with that problem, comes the, this inclination to run to the cross, run to the cross. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Confess him. Forgive us. We need forgiveness. And the text there uses the word debts or debts, however you want to pronounce it, or from wherever part of the world you're from. Some might ask, debt? You know, I might be in debt to my bank, I might be in debt to uh, uh, HMRC. How am I in debt to God? You see, God made us to love, to honor, and to serve and obey him. We were created for him. And every time we fail to do that perfectly, we accrue more debt. Each and every person has sinned against God and the eternality of separation with, from him, hell awaits those who have a debt towards him. We're in a position where we're accrued a debt that is insurmountable. That if we lived a thousand lifetimes, we would never be able to pay because we are finite. We have a beginning and we have an end. But the sin against an infinite holy God who sits in heaven is to him infinite. 
So we need to have that solved. We need someone to come between us, to bring together that debt. We need a mediator, someone to stand between us and God to establish our total debt and come up with a resolution. The Bible repeatedly speaks of Jesus Christ as the only mediator. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Our spiritual debt to God can only be paid, is only possible to be paid by Jesus Christ himself. So we need that mediator. Jesus Christ is that mediator. Right, we've established that we have this debt. Okay. How is it going to be paid? We need someone to make redemption for that debt that is owed. A redeemer is a person who pays the debt of someone else. Paul speaks of our great debt to God and Savior Jesus Christ. And he himself gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The mediator has come and he has redeemed us. For what? For his possession and for good works. He also tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I just read from Romans chapter 7 as Paul is saying, I am subjugated to the law. The law stands against me. That which I know I want to do, I cannot do. That which I know I ought to do, I'm still struggling with. Deuteronomy 21, 23 tells, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus, who was redeemed, who redeemed us, hung on a tree. He, cur- he, 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 he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for it is written, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. The man cries, Jesus, the mediator has come and he has redeemed us. He has made the payment that is sufficient. Every single financial debt that we owe towards God, I use financial because of the terminology that is used there. We know about what it's like to be in debt to someone, to have that hanging over your head to be hanging over your heart. And the use of debt there is is, quite significant. The Bible uh, uses different uh, uh, ways of speaking about sin. In Romans chapter 3, 23, Paul says that we have fallen short. We have missed the mark. The same word is used in Luke chapter 15, 21, when the prodigal son comes to his father and says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The phrase there is similar to the word that is used there as falling short, missing the mark. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, the word used there is translated offenses and trespasses. James, in James chapter 2 verse 9, calls us transgressors. When we sin and show impartiality to someone else, uh, to, to, to other two people, we have sinned by showing that partiality. And he calls that a transgression. Intentionally crossing the boundaries established by God and his word. Iniquity, transgression. But here, Matthew 6, 12, the word is translated debt. It refers to something that is owed to another party. When God calls our sin debt, he is reminding us that we, when we sin, are in debt to him. As Christians, we know that that debt has been paid. Because of the man Christ Jesus. But that doesn't change our relationship with sin. Jesus has paid the debt. And because of that, I will run to my father whenever I displease him, knowingly or unknowingly. Confessing my sins before him. When I see and am made aware of the sin I carry within my own heart, the only recourse, the only next step is to confess my guilt before the Lord so that healing and cleansing can continue or can even begin. When we pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I am confessing to the Lord that I have a problem with sin in my life I am trusting in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to continually renew me. But I'm aware of the fact that this debt I cannot pay on my own. I'm acknowledging the fact that Jesus Christ has paid that debt. Prayer involves confession. Prayer also involves a cry. If my greatest problem was sin, is the actual sin itself in my life, then my greatest need is forgiveness. I need to be forgiven. Judicially speaking, judicially speaking, when we were saved, we were completely justified by God, declared righteous by him, and given perfect standing in his sight. The believer is in right relationship with God. When, as we learned this morning, we repent of our sins, we turn around and we seek that right relationship with God and he, in his mercy and grace, grants that to us, we are eternally in right relationship with him. And that is the, the, the beauty the wonder, the splendor of our Christian faith. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in right relationship with God when we confess our sins and turn to him in repentance. But practically speaking, you and I sin on a daily basis. We may be in permanent relationship with God, and that has affected our sin relationship with God, but... As Pastor Ryan always says that though the power of sin has been removed, Jesus has destroyed the power of sin. Death no longer has any hold over us. We still live within the presence of sin. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is eternal. And it stands solely upon his grace. It cannot be affected by anything internal or external. But we are to walk in his light if we wish to enjoy that fellowship on an ongoing basis. With that in mind, when sin rears its ugly head in our lives, we don't need to try and hide it. We should never attempt to sweep it under the rug. We confess it. To God and to one another. Again, let me remind you that this is a family prayer. Forgive us our debts. We're talking to our Father. And he's not some cruel uh, uh, ogre, he's not some, 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 some harsh dictator. He is a loving, tender, gracious father whose mercy endures forever. When a child comes to him confessing our sin, confessing our failure, confessing our shortcomings, God is tender with us. He hears us, he receives us, and he forgives us for his glory. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. He will restore me to the place of closeness and fellowship when I come clean about how I've fallen short. The simple prayer is about our confessing our problem before God and our voicing our plea to him for forgiveness. Prayer is about confession. Prayer is about crying. We ought to cry about our sin and we ought to cry to God for forgiveness for those sins. But the prayer also involves a condition. We've confessed, we've cried, the Lord has forgiven us, 
We've wiped away our tears, and then we just slink back into the darkness. No. There's a condition in the prayer. That's the one, that's the most difficult for me to talk about. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When prayer is understood correctly, it is a prayer to God to extend forgiveness to me to the same degree that I extend forgiveness to others. That's, that's a scary, scary thought. If we understand it rightly, the way God has extended forgiveness to me, I ought to, have to, must extend that forgiveness to others. When I refuse to remain, uh, to maintain fellowship with other believers in the family of God, it affects my own fellowship with God the Father. As we shared the Lord's Supper this morning, the, the exhortation was clear. If you're not a believer, don't take this. If you're not part of a local church, don't take this. If you're not in right relationship with your brother or sister, don't take this. Regardless of what anyone does to me in this life, it could never possibly rise to the same level of guilt before the Lord God. And that's what Jesus illustrated in Matthew chapter 18. We're all familiar with the parable of the unforgiving servant. But remember that before that, I don't want to make this up, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. You have there from verse 27, the familiar passage about the, the unforgiving servant. But we see from whence it came. It's, it's, it's the backdrop there of if a brother sins against you. And you know the famous saying where two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. And it's often talked about, oh, this is uh, you know, when we're praying for prayer meeting. And it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is amongst us. The actual context of that is when brothers and sisters have sinned against one another in church discipline. How we go through those steps. You first, you go to your brother, and if they don't go, then two or three go, and then so on and so forth. And then Peter says, from verse 21, then Peter... Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times. 70 times seven. It's 
sorry, I think I missed out on that time seven at the end. People are like, oh, 70? That's, that's a much more manageable number, I guess. But 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And, I, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw this, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the, that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me put this in a practical way for us this evening. When you have wronged someone and you know it, you are to go to them confessing your wrong and seek their forgiveness. Some people never grow in the Lord and wonder why. They never seem to grow. The answer might lie here. You need to go to someone you've offended and say sorry. Your fellowship with the family of God and will the, your Father in heaven will never, ever be as it should if you continue to hold resentment and anger in your heart. It's corrosive. Why is that so important? Until you come to a place where you are in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Jesus, that place where it all is as it should be, things are never going to be totally right. Your prayers will be hindered. Your ability to praise and worship will be hindered. Your day-by-day -day walk will be hindered. I know it. Definitely today, my prayers and my, my ability to walk today was hindered. Just being frank and open. Because of the corrosive nature of unforgiveness. I'm never more like Jesus than when I can forgive those who have offended me. So when I pray this prayer, I'm saying, Lord, help me to be more like you. Help me, as you have forgiven, 
that I might forgive also. Lord, help me. Five years ago, we lost, all of us. We lost friends, we lost family, we lost a part of ourselves. Today, we have a chance to take it all back. You know your teams, you know your missions. Get the stones, get them back. One round trip, no mistakes, no do-overs. Most of us are going somewhere we know. That doesn't mean we should be, know what to expect. Be careful. Look out for each other. This is the fight of our lives. And we're going to win. Whatever it takes. Good luck. If anyone knows that quote, that's taken directly from Endgame. Captain America, as he's about to go on a mission to collect some stones. But I don't think the language there is lost on the corrosive nature of unforgiveness. You know what the mission is. Go out there and forgive. Yes, we're going to somewhere that you know, we may not be familiar with. We're going to experience things that we weren't expecting. The Lord has forgiven us, so we're going to win. We're going to win. It doesn't matter the outcome of the, of the seeking forgiveness. They may not even forgive you. <laughs> but because Jesus Christ has won, we are going to win. Forgiving and being forgiven is more important than you and I can even imagine. It's more important. And you know why it's more important? Let's go to the text here. There in uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, um, verse 12. It's that opening word. And. And. Because it connects what was just said in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness ties in hand in hand with the daily sustenance that we need to even be alive and survive. The corrosive nature of unforgiveness is such that it doesn't just corrupt us spiritually, but it corrupts our health. Just as I am taught to pray for the things that I need to sustain my life day by day, I am also taught that I need forgiveness day by day. I am a needy man. I sin against the Lord and I need forgiveness. There are times when I forget for, I've offended others. At those times I need grace to forgive and to be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, in final analysis, prayer is about releasing. 
It's about my releasing my sins into the hands of the God of grace so that I can experience his forgiveness. It's about release me releasing my debts and the debts of others also as I release them and what that incurs onto my own life so that my fellowship is not hindered. My fellowship with God is not hindered. My fellowship with God's people is not hindered. Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, I need your power. We need your power right now. We need you to help us to forgive. If we don't know something of your forgiveness towards us, I hope by God's grace, I hope by your grace that your words this evening has communi have communicated that to us. You, through the Lord Jesus Christ, have extended forgiveness to us for eternity. The debts that we have accrued over the years of our lives, knowingly and unknowingly, can be washed away by Jesus Christ and no longer be held to our account. Help us, Father, to run to that forgiveness, to run to that mercy, to run to that grace, that by knowing it, by experiencing it, by feasting in it, we too might forgive our own debtors. Resentment is corrosive. Help us, Father, to forgive as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen.